everyone, your through to your host, Sandra True, Get Real Parental Coaching Podcast that is for dads. So today we've got Richard Capriola. He's going to be talking to us about adolescence and substance abuse and everything around that, because I think it's a really important topic that to dis- not only to discuss, but also to help the parents look out for any signs. What should they look out for? Why is it happening? Where are they getting these things from? And any kind of thing that Richard could sort of help us today with information that would be great so let's welcome Richard to the show how are you Richard? Thank you Sandra I'm doing great and I really appreciate you taking the time to to invite me to this program to talk about this very important topic of adolescent substance abuse so thank you so much. Oh absolutely so I'm gonna let you take the floor if you could just sort of tell a little bit about yourself your background and how did you get into the topic that we're about to discuss? Yeah sure I actually have a long history. I worked in education for about 30 years, education administration, and then transitioned out of that career into working in mental health and substance abuse. Started out at a crisis center in central Illinois, and then accepted a position at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, which is a large psychiatric hospital that serves both adolescents and adults diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse issues. I worked for Menninger Clinic for over a decade. I worked with both adolescents and adults. And during that time, I would sit across from parents and describe their child's use of substances, how often they were using, how young they started, what they were using, give them a diagnosis of a substance use disorder. And so many times these parents would look across at me and they would say, I had no idea that this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they might say, I sort of thought something was going on, but I didn't think it was this bad. And and these are good parents. These are very good parents doing the best job that they can do. They missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. Um, and after I left Menninger Clinic, I wanted to write a book uh, that would help parents become less fearful and more confident about this topic, which can be a very scary topic for parents. I kept it short. It's a little over 100 pages because parents are busy. They, they don't have time to read volumes of information on this stuff. But I wanted to pack in as much information as I could in those hundred and some pages, information that includes uh, how the brain works and how the adolescent brain works, uh, information on what type of an assessments and tests should you get done if you think your child is using a substance, what drugs are out there. You know, we know about alcohol and marijuana, but what are the other drugs that are out there that parents need to be aware of? So I have chapters on, on those topics. And then I have warning signs so that parents can become a little bit more aware of what the warning signs are to take a look at. But my motivation in writing the book was to help parents, to help them become more aware and less afraid of this topic. You brought up some really good points there, Richard, in terms of number one, the book is to make parents aware and not be afraid. Exactly. And number two, you brought up the point of the parents that you experienced and were involved with, they were good parents. So it's okay to think about a lot of parents may think, well, well, you know, it's, they sort of have this stigma, don't they? The parents are like unemployed and, you know, not much money is those kind of kids that's going to be all on the drugs and the yeah. sorts of things. Well, actually, what kind of parents are we talking about? Any kind of parents, right? Absolutely. I say that, you know, all children are vulnerable to being caught up by drugs or alcohol. There's no child that's totally protected 
bracket. Every child is vulnerable. It doesn't matter where you live, urban, rural, suburban area. It doesn't matter what your level of income is. It doesn't matter what church you may go to or what school you send your child to. All children are vulnerable to being caught up with alcohol or drugs. There is no child that is absolutely protected. And I think you're absolutely right. I think some parents take the attitude, well, this happens to other kids. This isn't going to happen to my kid. And then they find out it has. And then they start to question, well, what kind of a parent am I? How did I miss the warning signs? What went wrong? And they really start to feel bad about themselves. But there is no child that's totally protected. Every parent should take the position that drugs are out there. They're widely available. These kids know about it. They don't think that they're harmful. And every child is vulnerable to being caught up with either alcohol or drugs. And so let's talk about those warning signs, because that's really, really important to get that out there. What are the signs that parents can look out for without ignoring them and look out for and do something about? What kind of signs are we looking for? Well, in my book, I have warning signs for a child that might be using marijuana. I have warning signs for a child that might be drinking alcohol. I included warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder or self-harming themselves because sometimes an eating disorder and self-injury can accompany a child using substances. So parents need to be aware of what those warning signs are too. As a general rule, what I say to parents is pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. So don't assume that the changes you're seeing are just normal adolescent acting out. They may very well be that, but they also might be an indication that there's something else going on underneath the surface that you need to be aware of and take a closer look at. So for some examples would be a child whose grades are starting to decline, Uh, a child who used to participate in extracurricular activities like sports, no longer shows an interest in doing so. A child who used to introduce you to their friends, you knew who their friends were, uh, are. You, you, You may have even known who some of their family members are. Now becomes very secretive of who their friends are, becomes very secretive of where they have been uh, and what they've been doing. And then obviously, if discover any drug paraphernalia, any strange odors in in their rooms, those are a little bit more obvious signs. But pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. If they come and go fairly quickly, it's probably not too concerning. But if they start to linger on and then you start to see more and more and more of these changes over time, uh, you may want to get some professional assessments done to get some advice as to what's really going on. And if there is something that's going on, what's the next steps that you should take? Yeah, that's interesting. Thank you for that. And you know, I was speaking to a guy a couple of weeks ago. He was a drug addict from a very young age. Now, what he was saying was when he fathered a child, he did not know being a drug addict himself. He did not know that the mother was on pills because that's harder to spot. And the signs weren't there. Now, he could spot an addict, heroin, cocaine from far away, but the pills is harder to spot. Would you agree with that? I think it can be. I mean, each drug is a little bit different in terms of how people react to it. Obviously, you know, how long you've been using a substance and how much you're taking obviously affects, you know, your behavior. Sometimes it's easier to recognize when a person has been drinking a lot of alcohol, for example, and they're obviously drunk, as opposed to a person that might be taking some pills. And, you know, if they're not taking them in large quantities and they're, if they're not taking them very 
very frequently. Yeah, that that's a little bit harder to pick up on. So what about schools then and sort of educational institutions? How do you think they could help prevent and address substance abuse amongst their students? I think that's an excellent question because everything that we've been doing in schools is not working. Just say no attitude, the lack of emphasis, substance abuse among our adolescent population. You know, some schools might have an assembly once a year. They bring in a law enforcement official who tries to scare kids and that never works. But what can be done? You know, when I was working with teenagers uh, who were smoking marijuana, it didn't do me any good to tell them the drugs are illegal. Uh, It didn't do me any good to tell them drugs are bad for them or they might not get good grades or they might not graduate or get into college or get a job because they didn't care about any of that stuff. So lecturing them about the evils of drugs and how they're illegal doesn't register with them. They don't care. They don't pay attention. But what does matter? What I found matters is the neuroscience approach. Kids are very curious. They want to know about their brain. They want to know how it works. And I would use the neuroscience approach to get through to them. Uh, I would educate them about how the brain works and what the different areas of the brain are and what they're responsible for. And then when they got a good understanding of that, I would introduce how drugs work in the brain so that they could see how drugs change the brain. They were interested in that. So what our schools could be doing in very early grades, say the elementary grades, is simply teach kids about the brain. Teach them about what the brain does and why it's so important and why you need to protect it and get that understanding into them in elementary school. Then as they move into the higher grades, you know, middle school and high school, now that they have an understanding of how the brain works and the importance of protecting the brain, when they get in middle school and high school, then you can start to introduce how drugs work in the brain. But you have to start with helping them to understand what the brain does and how important it is to protect it. When they have that understood, then you can introduce how drugs work in the brain, how they change the brain. And I think that that has the potential for having some real impact. We don't do that in our schools now, but we really should be doing that. Yeah, that's interesting. And I love the philosophy behind that. What concerns me is the other vulnerable students, maybe the neurodiverse children who perhaps struggle within a classroom setting to get across to those vulnerable people. The same thing as what you're saying, because they may not be sitting around long enough to understand what you're saying. It's like the other things. I mean, I did probably have an idea of maybe watching some videos. You know, some people are more visual, aren't they? Yeah. And there are different approaches that you can take. For some children, they will respond to short presentations that are visual in orientation. And you can prepare those that will help educate them about the brain. Uh, For others, another approach might be, you know, some type of activity where they're involved in learning about the brain. Uh, You know, so if you do this in elementary school, you have to adapt it to where these children are and what their capabilities are. But regardless of where the child is, they're all capable of learning and they're all capable of understanding. Problem that we have is that nobody's taking the time to educate these kids about how important the brain is and the need to protect the brain and then how drugs work in the brain. So they go all the way through school and they never get a good education on how the brain works, how important it is to protect it and how drugs work in the brain. And then they're very vulnerable to getting caught up by drugs for various reasons. Yeah, These drugs are readily available. We ask kids, how easy is it for you to get marijuana? And 80% of them tell us it's no big deal. We ask 
them, how easy is it to get alcohol? Again, large percentage of them tell us it's no big deal. And then we ask them, well, how dangerous do you think these drugs are? And a large percentage of them tell us, we don't think marijuana is dangerous. We don't think alcohol is dangerous. So you've got the drugs being widely available and kids not thinking they're dangerous. And that's a setup for the substance abuse that we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like they're being failed before they've even reached anywhere, isn't it? Right. So what do you think the potential short-term and long-term effects of substance abuse on teenagers' physical and mental health in your experience of what you've seen and what you've Yeah, I think one of the issues that we have is that too many kids uh, who are using substances go undiagnosed for underlying mental health issues. Um, Many of the kids that I worked with that were smoking marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. So for too many kids out there, we're able to catch the fact that they're using a substance. That's obvious in a lot of cases. But we miss the underlying issue of why they're using that substance. And the result is many of these kids suffer from an undiagnosed mental health issue that they are using a substance to medicate. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe it's some type of trauma, maybe it's an emerging personality disorder. But many of these kids or some of these kids are using a substance to medicate that underlying issue that unfortunately never gets diagnosed and treated. We focus on the substance use, but we miss in all too many cases, in too many cases, the underlying mental health issue that that child may be struggling with. And that is such a good point because that same underlying issue will then just carry on through way into their adulthood, yes. unresolved, still undiagnosed, and then they can't function in today's society because of an, uh, an underlying issue that wasn't dealt with back then. And that's right. And they're likely to continue using a substance to medicate that issue if it's not resolved. So I believe that every child who is using a substance uh, should get a comprehensive psychological evaluation to either rule in or rule out mm. uh, if there is that underlying issue. Because if it is there and it's diagnosed, it needs to be treated as well as treating the substance abuse. Yeah, absolutely. But how can parents and guardians best approach the topic of substance abuse with their teenagers? Because there's always this lack of communication, what I find in my experience when it comes to sensitive subjects, like what we're talking about, whether it be sex, drugs, you know, they're thinking, oh, I'm not going to say anything to my child. If I don't say anything, it won't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you had that one? Yeah, I've had that one. Oh. <laughs> and then it happens and you wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. How can parents uh, approach that conversation? Learning to communicate. And by that, I mean, we're pretty good at communicating and listening to each other's words. So when we're talking to our kids or we're talking to anyone, uh, we're pretty good on hearing the words, but we're not so good at hearing the feelings behind those words. And that's a skill that every parent can practice and learn so that when we're talking to our kids, we're not just hearing the words, we're hearing the feelings behind those words. And 
and we're reflecting those feelings back to see if what we think is going on is really going on. So when you're talking to your child about uh, your concerns about their use of a substance, you don't want to lecture them and threaten them and punish them. You want to express your concern about their use of a substance or potential use of a substance and be very honest about how if that frightens you, talk about how that frightens you. If you're worried that your child may be using a substance or may in the future use a substance, let them see that you're afraid. Let them see that you're vulnerable because the more that you can get your discussion on a feeling level, the more likely they will be to open up and talk to you. And that's what that's really what you want. Absolutely. And you know, I'm finding sort of peer pressure is a lot these days yeah. and it's going deeper each time. So nine times out of 10, there is peer pressure into trying something new or go and have this and have that. And then all of a sudden they're trapped. Yeah. Now they like the taste of it. Now they like the smell of it or whatever it is. I don't know. How can we sort of, as parents again, sort of talk to our children about peer pressure and how important that is? I think that's a topic that you shouldn't be afraid of and that you should discuss with your child. I think that it's okay to express that you're afraid of peer pressure and what it could possibly do to your child. I would be curious with your child as to what they think about peer pressure. Have they ever felt any peer pressure and how did that feel to them? Do they have any friends that perhaps have acted under the influence of peer pressure? And what skills can they develop to help them navigate through this peer pressure so that they don't get trapped by it? But this entire issue of peer pressure, how they relate to it, how they respond to it, what type of coping skills do they use? That's an appropriate discussion that I think, unfortunately, many parents don't have with their child. But as you noted, it's an important one. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to sort of talk about some of the intervention strategies. So what do you think are some of the effective intervention strategies for parents or educators who suspect their teenager is using drugs or alcohol? Well, the first thing you should do is have a discussion with your child about their potential use of a substance. Are they using a substance? And and be curious as to why they are. Not lecture them, not threaten them, not punish them. You want to approach the discussion from an inquiring point of view. I'm concerned that you might be using a, a drug. I'm concerned you might be smoking marijuana. And that scares me. Can you help me understand that? Now, that's a discussion that's probably going to go one of two ways. It's either going to blow up, child's going to become angry and defensive and argumentative, uh, or it might go the other way and you learn some things. But regardless of how those initial discussions go, if you're still concerned as a parent that your child might be using a substance or drinking alcohol, you need to get the assessments done that I recommend in my book so that you can get some professional assessments done, rule in or rule out if there's a problem. And if there is a problem, get some professional advice as to what the next steps are. Because every child's different. Every situation is different. And the treatment plan for your child will be very different, very unique. So if you're still concerned, my recommendation is get the assessments done, get the professional advice. If there's a diagnosis, get a treatment plan so that you know what the next steps are. And if treatment's needed, what kind of treatment is recommended? And it's so important to follow those things up, isn't it? Yes. Follow the things through and not just, okay, well, he's got an appointment or she's got an appointment. We've been to the appointment and they've said this and that. And it doesn't stop there. To me, it's an ongoing thing. Is You want to make sure that your child is comfortable at the stage where they're at, that they now fully understand the impact of the drugs, the impact of the peer pressure, 
because they're still yet to probably still go through high school and they've still got more schooling to go through and they're still going to be offered certain things and it's all about being able to yes say no but understand what you're saying about how the brain works what it does to the brain and do you really want a mushy brain the assessment and diagnosis is just the beginning of the process this is going to be a journey if your child is using alcohol or drugs and you get the diagnosis and a treatment plan that's just the beginning of the process this is going to be a journey that's going to take quite some time and may involve different kinds of treatment and what i would say to parents is if you are going on this journey with your child your child's been diagnosed your child has been given a treatment plan your child is going to go into some type of treatment whether it's inpatient or outpatient or residential this is going to be a journey so you need to take care of yourself as a parent you need to have a support system around you to help you sometimes we forget that this is very difficult for parents this is a crisis for parents so parents need and deserve to have a support system around them as they go through this with their child. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. I mean, just being a parent, you need a support system. Full stop. Yeah. That's true. I think we could both agree with that. Yes, because there's going to be challenges and there's going to be times when you're going to really need some support. Absolutely. So in terms of the teenagers then, how do you think they can develop a coping mechanism and life skills to resist the temptation of drugs and alcohol? That's very difficult for them because there are so many variables out there, so much peer pressure, and their adolescent brain is not fully developed. Brain doesn't become developed until around 24, 25. And the last part of the brain to get developed is the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for abstract reasoning and higher order of thinking and the ability to weigh pros and cons and make hopefully rational decisions. Well, that part of the brain's not fully developed. So kids are already at a disadvantage. So it's easy for them to go through the process of thinking through, well, is this going to be a problem? What are going to be the consequences? What are the pros and what are the cons? They don't do that. They just jump right in. You know, they're impulsive. Their brain is impulsive. So that's the risk of these adolescent years is that many of them just don't have the brain development to to be able to rationally think through these things. So they need help. They need help in processing this and developing these skills, which they will need not only in adolescence, but in adulthood as well. Mm, Totally agree with that. So what about resources? Because we talk about help and support and for both the parents and the teenagers. So what kind of resources are available in the community? to support teenagers struggling with substance abuse? There's everything from the school community to to the community in large. Within the school community, you know, I would suggest that parents take advantage of school counselors, school social workers, school psychologists. Uh, In the community, you know, there are mental health groups like NAMI, the National Association. There are uh, substance abuse uh, support groups throughout the community, uh, depending on where you live. So I think you can check those out and find, you know, support services within your community. Obviously, depending on where you live, that may be a challenge in some communities, much more so than other communities. You know, if you live in a large metropolitan urban district, there's probably multitude of support services out there. If you live in a rural area, it may be a little bit more difficult. But I would tend to start with the school that your child attends and see what resources are available there and what resources in the community 
community, they might be able to recommend. Start by talking to the school counselor, school social worker, or psychologist. Mm, I love that. Absolutely. You know, it's all about reaching out to the support system because obviously you've got some parents that are full of pride, yeah. aren't they? Just full of pride and they don't want anyone to know. And because of that pride, they then keep things in-house. They think they can, uh, we'll sort it out amongst ourselves. Yeah. And then what tends to happen with that? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It gets worse. You know, yeah. So, you know, if you are listening to this podcast and you're listening to Richard, he's got some gems here that he's dropped. And it's almost, if you see a sign, warning sign, start talking. Communication has got to be key. Without that, you're not going to get very far. And it's also, as you said before, not about the shouting and it's about a discussion, a mature discussion that you have to try and have with your child, which is not going to be easy. Not at all. No, it's not. But the more you stick with it, the more you work at it, the more likely you are to get some benefits from it. You know, it's a difficult process, but communication is key. And learning to listen to your child's words and their feelings and reflecting them back, that can play a tremendous role in how well your child responds and how comfortable they feel in disclosing things with you. Absolutely. And I want to make sure I touch on, before we wrap this up, I want to touch on the legal consequences. We need to highlight the potential legal consequences for teenagers involved in substance abuse, such as underage drinking or drug possession. What are those kind of implications? Well, some of them can be catastrophic, you know. Um, you know, some of the consequences uh, with alcohol, you could harm yourself, you could harm others. If you are licensed as a teenager to drive and you drive under the influence of alcohol, you could get into an accident, you could hurt yourself, you could hurt somebody else. The problem is that under the influence of substances, you might engage in some dangerous activities. It might be operating a motor vehicle. It might be rock climbing or diving off into the pool or unprotected sex. Uh, you know, it could be a lot of dangerous activities that you might be more prone to get trapped into if you're under the influence of a substance than if you're not. Because when you're under the influence of a substance, you sort of lose the ability to weigh pros and cons and make rational decisions and you're more prone to do some really stupid stuff. Uh, um, so well, the consequences can be severe, not only in terms of hurting yourself and others, but also legal implications too, because you know you, you could get involved into the legal system, you could be put on probation, and you could face some serious consequences as a result of, of using these substances. And even carrying them. And even possessing them, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So just to wrap up then, Richard, if you could have maybe three tips that you could give to parents about substance abuse with their teenagers, what would that be? First of all, learn as much as you can about adolescent substance abuse and the warning signs. Get a copy of my book, The Addicted Child, Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. It won't take you very long to read it. It's only a little over 100 pages, but hopefully after reading it, you'll feel a little bit more confident uh, and less afraid of this topic. So awareness is the key, especially being aware of the warning signs. Another thing that I would say is if you are involved in a situation where your child is using a substance, don't delay. You know, get the assessments and if needed, get the treatment started as quickly as possible. Uh, the sooner you begin treatment, the sooner hopefully you can get through this process. And the third thing I would say is if you're going through this as a parent, as I said earlier, get a support system so that you don't feel so alone. You get a support system that will be there for you as you go through this journey. 
journey with your child. Love that. Thank you so much, Richard. You've dropped some gems and a half. I don't know about anybody else, but I learned a lot. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sandra. And that's what we're here to do. We're all here to learn. And the more we can learn, the more we can educate ourselves and our children. Yes. Thank you so much, Richard. I will put all your details in the show notes below. So if anybody out there who wants to contact Richard, you'll have access to that. Thank you for the listeners for listening to this podcast. We appreciate you and uh, we'll see you soon. Take care, Richard. Thank you, Sandra. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming. Thank you.